0: Well, good morning, good morning. It's so good to see you today. It's such a treat for me to be in my home church. Delighted to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, open them, please, to Exodus chapter 3. In the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. Thank you, men, for that wonderful job in the choir today. My goodness, you had such a—yeah, let's just give them a hand. Don't you all agree they had such a uh, distinctive sound? and it was wonderful to hear you. I hope you will say this with me, inside out and upside down. Would you say that please? Inside out and upside down. The whole world around us lives with very little thought, reflection, or consciousness of God and his ways. Our whole world functions in particular patterns, has particular beliefs and values. Our culture is very strong. It's very present all around us. And nearly everybody lives without any regard to the ways of God and his values. That means when Jesus Christ enters into this world, when he enters into my life, and he gets engaged with us as we are living, he has a tendency to to turn things inside out and upside down, to look at them from a very different perspective than the world does, from a very different perspective, than the way we were trained, even without being consciously trained, from the way we were taught, even without being particularly taught. And Jesus, to bring us into His ways, into His approach, into His values and His perspectives, has to turn things inside out and upside down. So it is with leadership. This is a very popular topic in our world today. And I will assure you, you could go into any bookstore in America and find the leadership section of that bookstore. And there are dozens of books, if not more, published every year about leadership. It is a huge business to talk about, to discuss, to analyze, to evaluate leadership, lots of ideas on who a leader is and what a leader does. But God has a view of leadership that is inside out and upside down. That is very different to the literature. And God tends to teach us his view, his perspective, his way, not with written instructions on how to be a leader but with the lives of people that God uses in leadership roles. And I think all would agree, in church, out of church, secular, sacred, all would agree one of the most significant leaders in the history of the religious life of the world was Moses. Great, powerful, tremendously influential man. So what does God teach us about leadership in the life of Moses? His story starts as a leader in Exodus chapter 3. He is not working as a leader. He is working as a shepherd. The only thing he's leading is sheep. And the only thing he's interested in is finding food for them to eat and water for them to drink. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is out far away from his home with the flock in the wilderness when all of a sudden he comes upon a very unusual sight. Exodus 3 opens with Moses at the burning bush when he saw this bush on fire, but not being consumed. And he walked over to check it out and he discovered that God was waiting there to speak to him and to call him to a very specific leadership role. I guess you could say Moses heard it through the grapevine, or rather maybe a burning grapevine. When God said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, God said, I am calling you to go back to Egypt, the place from which Moses had fled after he was discovered as a murderer of one of the Egyptian guards. I want you to go back there. I know all of the afflictions and sorrows and troubles of my people there, and I am going to use you to bring them out of Egypt into the place that I have prepared for them." Wonderful news, glorious news, fabulous news. God wants to use, the God who is able to speak through a burning bush that is not being consumed. What a dramatic call experience. Wonderful news, happy news. And that's when the lessons on leadership began to unfold. For we see Moses and his reaction Wanting God to understand there were five reasons why he's not a leader. Now that's very important for you and me because most of us today, when we know, okay, it's a leadership series in church talking about the role of those of us who are members of this church as leaders in the church, thank goodness I don't have to listen to that one. Thank goodness it's not going to be about me because I am not a leader. And so many people think that there is no particular role for them in the life and work of a congregation. So maybe you will find some things you agree with in the understanding of Moses. He had five reasons he knew he was not a leader. Reason number one, we find in verse 10 and 11. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Great, wonderful, stirring call of God to leadership. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Moses said, I know I'm not a leader because it's not my ambition. I'm not yearning to be a leader. I have no desire to be a leader. Therefore, clearly, I am not a leader. Who am I to even think of myself as a leader? God responded and he said quite clearly, I am the one who will get it done. Inside out, upside down. And this is the theme through everything we learn from Moses, God trying to communicate one simple lesson. It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about you. It's about me. Look at God's response in verse 11, 12, and God said, certainly, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this very mountain. I am going to get this done. Okay. Here's the problem. The evidence that I'm really a leader and God wants to use me comes after I've already done it, not before. This is called faith, something that God wants to teach you, something that you're not really learning until you discover how hard it is to believe God in God alone is the one who's going to work through your life and you can't do it if he doesn't do it. For you see, leadership, very important lesson. Leadership is an assignment and not a goal. It's not something to which you aspire. It is something that God wants you to do. I told you when I first discovered I was a leader, when the gavel was literally thrust into my hands, and I had no choice about that. Do you know when I did my first sermon? Not when I called a church and said, could I preach? Not when I asked for opportunities to stand up in front of people and speak. It came when the pastor of my church came to me and said, I'm going to be out on Christmas Eve and I want you to preach the Christmas Eve service. I'm a senior in high school. We have one of the largest church, the largest church in my city, one of the larger churches in our state. And he said, I want you to preach the Christmas Eve service. And suddenly, boom, boom there was the assignment that's how God works he's not following your dreams he is following his plans leadership is not a an ambition a plan that you make it's an assignment that God gives you of what he wants you to do well that should have ended the discussion God said, I know who you are, but I also know who I am, and I am calling you to be a leader. But Moses said, well, no, 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 not so fast. There's a second reason why. It's very clear, very evident. I am not a leader. Who are you? This was his question to God. Okay, I go back to Egypt. That's the plan. I am wanted for the murder of an Egyptian guard. I am not welcome there, and I am to go back to them and say that God sent me, and they say, well, who is God that you're talking about? What am I supposed to say? Who are you that I can tell people? What I'm doing is your assignment. Isn't that what we always think? How great our opinion of God may be in our own mind, but we don't imagine anyone else will care about that. Just because I believe in God, why should I expect other people to accept what I say God is wanting to do in my life and in my ministry? And God replied to Moses' question, who are you? By saying, I am the one who gets it done. I am the one who gets it done. And look at verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Who are you? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. Leadership is about faithful following, not careful planning. This is what so many people don't understand. Moses was not a great leader because he wanted to be a great leader. Moses was not a great leader because he had an opportunity. No one was stepping up to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, so Moses said, okay, I'll do that. Moses was a great leader because he was following what God wanted him to do. God knows you, and God has purposes and plans for you. And your purposes and plans from the mind and heart of God are every bit as important as mine are. Well, you look at me. I'm a seminary president. I have obvious and clear responsibilities. It is clearly my job to be a leader. It's your job too. Because the bottom line for my job is follow what God wants me to do. And that's yours too. You know me, you don't know Mr. Beavers. Mr. Beavers was a man in our church who felt God directing him to take a class of 10 year old boys and teach them the Bible. And oh, we were a rowdy bunch and not an easy group. Mr. Beavers, he worked very hard at that job and his goal was find some way to make the bible so interesting to these boys they will read it themselves so he would come to class and he would say okay who was the shortest man in the bible and we would say who he said we'll find it Who was the shortest man in the Bible? So we're looking, we're looking for descriptions of people's height and all of that. There's Zacchaeus, he was a little old man, had to climb up in the sycamore tree. No, that's not right. We're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And finally he said, it's very clear, guys, the shortest man in the Bible was Nehemiah. He came in one week, and one of the most popular television shows in the nation at that time was about a talking horse named Mr. Ed. And he said, where in the Bible did a donkey talk? The Bible says a donkey talked? Yes, where? And we find the story of when a man went to curse the people of God, and his donkey stopped and said to him, if you try to beat me and make me go ahead, there's an angel standing there who's going to kill you and kill me too. And the donkey talked. I found that the first time because Mr. Beavers worked to make me interested. And I know a verse or two of the Bible. I know some things about the Bible. Why? A lot of it goes back to Mr. Beavers creating an interest in God's Word in me and you've never heard His name and you don't know Him. But every time I stand up and preach all over the nation and all over the world and open God's Word and explain it to people, Mr. Beavers is speaking through me. Mr. Mead, who felt called of God to take on a class of teenage boys, How do you get teenage boys interested in the things of God? Mr. Mead loved cars and he had cool cars. And we would go over to his house and look at his cool cars. And as we looked at his cool cars, he would talk about the Lord and the things of God and why Jesus mattered to him. Leadership is about faithful following. Doing the things that God wants you to do, not imagining and creating things you think you can do for God. All you have to do to be a great spiritual leader is play follow the leader. Stay close with Jesus. Don't try to come up with great ideas. God's done a pretty good job of that. You follow his ways and his ideas. And that's what he said to Moses Who am I? You're asking me who I am? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of your fathers. I am who I am. I can handle this. I've got a track record. The question is, will you accept it? Everything that I've done in the past is an illustration of what I can do in your life. Are you ready to accept it? Will you follow? will you do it? Ah, but Moses said, well, I still know I am not a leader. How do you know you're not a leader? Moses said, I don't know how to be impressive. I don't know how to be impressive. How can someone like me get the attention of Pharaoh? I mean, we all have this image of what a leader looks like, don't we? Leaders are people who are handsome and strong and very intelligent and witty and charming and everything like that, right? Nah, the big fat ugly guys who work as seminary presidents. That's what leaders are like. The job is not being impressive, the job is being faithful. And Moses was very worried. Why would Pharaoh give me the time of day? Why would I get past being arrested when I go back to the place where I murdered a member of Pharaoh's guard? Why would Pharaoh give me the time of day? And look at verse 4. Uh, chapter four rather, verses one through nine. Moses answered and said, "'What if they will not believe me "'or listen to what I say? "'For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you.' "'And the Lord said to him, "'What is that in your hand?' "'He said, it's a staff.' "'Then he said, throw it on the ground.' "'He threw it on the ground, "'and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. "'But the Lord said to Moses, "'Stretch out your hand, grasp it by its tail, Who picks up a snake by its tail, grasp it by the tail, and he caught it, it became a staff in his hand so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The fact that people will question your leadership should not be a surprise to you. Because remember, what does God do? He turns things inside out and upside down. And you may not be the kind of person people expect to step up and do something in this church, or in the service of the kingdom of God. Our seminary is full of people like that. Where do preachers and ministers and missionaries come from? They come from the pews of Baptist churches. Do you know our typical student is married and has at least one child? Do you know what that means? That means just about all of them were doing something else before they came to seminary. Most of them were doing some other job before God called them to preach. They were business people. They were teachers. They were lawyers. uh, They were physicians. They did all kinds of things, and then God called them into ministry. They were doing something else and we do not accept them on the basis of what they were doing. We accept them on the basis of what God can do in their life and God always provides evidence of his calling to those he wants to use. And he will do that for you. I know I'm not a leader because I don't know how to be impressive, but God says, evidence is my specialty. Leadership is a function and not a position. That may be the single most important lesson about leadership that God has taught me. Leadership is not a position that you occupy. It's not a title that you hold. It is a function. It is something that you do for the kingdom of God. So I had to be a leader when I came into our seminary long before I was ever president. I was the youngest guy in the faculty room. When I walked in, I was the youngest guy there. Everybody in that room were my professors. They had me as a student. And I was given a responsibility to completely change a program that the seminary had, but I had no authority. I had no position. I had nothing but the image of being a student. And I had to find a way to completely transform that program. God made a way. God will always make a way. So if God is calling you to work with the children in our church, oh, how we need men who will invest their lives in the infants and the children of this church and nurture and care for them. Oh, God may be calling you to work with the teenagers of our church, with the women's ministry of our church, with the finances of our church, with all the service aspects of our church. And you think that just doesn't sound like me. Yeah, you're right but it sounds a lot like God. And God always enables us to do the things that he wants done. Leadership is not the title that somebody gives you. It's not the position that you occupy. It's a function that you perform for the work of the kingdom of God. Don't focus on the title. Focus on the function. (sighs) Well. Moses said, you know, God, uh, that's very, all very interesting, but I am still convinced I am not a leader. How do I know I'm not a leader? I am not a leader because my weaknesses are greater than my strengths. My weaknesses are greater than my strengths. I don't talk so good. I'm not somebody that stands up in front of people And does think, oh, now Aaron, 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 that's your guy. Smooth-talking Aaron. Far better at something like this than I could ever be. God's response as we look at verses 10 through 12 of Exodus chapter 4, I made your mouth. Did you not think that I could handle this? You are going to come, when you serve the Lord, you are going to come in vivid contact with your weaknesses. You think you know them now? You will know them very vividly when you begin doing what God wants you to do because they will jump up in technicolor in front of you in very intimidating ways and you will see as you seek to be faithful to God that God has given you something you feel like you were just not cut out to do. So God has called me to the ministry of preaching the Word. And several years ago, while I was a student, I was invited to speak to a state youth conference uh, in another state. There are going to be 4,000 teenagers there in a civic center in the capital city of this state. And I got there, and my sweet wife, Rhonda, was with me, and we came in there, and there were 4,000 teenagers sitting on the hard wooden seats of a civic center, and the program was the worst program ever devised for teenagers in the history of the human race. For an hour and a half, this was the program. We're going to have two numbers from our state youth choir. We're going to have two numbers from our state youth ensemble. We're going to have two numbers from our state youth male soloist. We're going to have two numbers from our state youth female soloist. We're going to have two numbers from our state youth band. We're going to have two numbers from our state youth mini band. We're going to have two, and it was these unconnected music pieces without any participation, no congregational singing, nothing, this parade of people, and the last thing before me was a presentation by the State Youth Drama Group who did a presentation reenacting the crucifixion of Jesus. As they are nailing Jesus to the cross, they had one kid who was playing the role of the lost sheep, representing those for whom Jesus died. And that kid playing the role of the lost sheep had a sign saying, Lost Sheep, and he walked around the program going like this Bah! ba. You have 4,000 teenagers who've been sitting for an hour and a half in a program they're completely uninterested. What do you think they did when that kid held up his sign and went bah, "Bah, bah"? They are rolling in the aisles. You think you're laughing now? You haven't been here for an hour and a half. They are rolling in the aisles while they're nailing Jesus to the cross. And my sweet, loving, kind wife, sitting next to me, leaned over and said they're going to kill you. (laughs) God will bring you face to face with your limitations. He knows your weaknesses better than you know them, but He is God. And when you are a leader, You accept a willingness to be humiliated, not an expectation of being exalted. That's the job. Well, what did I do? Well, it was my turn. They turned out all the lights while the drama crew got off. I went to my mark on the stage and I stood with my back to the audience and the spotlight came up and I waited about 10 seconds in eternity And I turned around and I said, you mean it's finally my turn to speak? Well, they all laughed, and I said, you know, the nice thing about being the speaker on a program is sometimes you get to stand up instead of having to sit down. They all laughed So, why don't we all stand up for a moment? They all stood up. They're all buzzing and talking and everything. They're very, 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 very bored. And I said, you know, uh, as you're taking your seat again, you should be aware. I want to give you a warning advance. I have no idea what is actually going to come out of my mouth. I know what's supposed to come out of my mouth, but you never know what's actually going to come out of your mouth. Sometimes preachers say things they don't really intend to say. Like I was at one church one time and the preacher said, let's have a special time of prayer. I want everybody to put your seat on the head in front of you. Well, they laughed. And then I said, I I was actually preaching one time and my wife began laughing in the middle of the sermon at a point in the sermon that I didn't think was particularly funny. And after the service, I said, what were you laughing at? She said, you said that God was high and exhausted on His throne in heaven. Well, after that sermon, he probably was. And then I said, my all-time favorite happened in my church, First Baptist Church of New Orleans. At that time, Rick, we had a very dignified, very uh, traditional, very somber minister of music, and he was introducing a guest to do a special music before the sermon, right before the sermon. We were on live television at that time and radio, we had a full house, and he said, and now... Coming to sing for us is Dr. Clint Nichols, the director of our seminary, Queer. (laughs) The laughter started on the front row, went all the way back and they were roaring. And I said, so I'm warning you in advance. I don't know exactly what's going to come out of my mouth, but I do have something I want to say. And they listened. Where did that come from? God. When God directs you, God provides. He will always be there to make it work when you are willing even to be humiliated And you're not looking just to look good. Well, but Moses said, you know, yeah, you made my mouth. I, I still know I'm not a leader. Reason number five, other people are better leaders than me. You're right. There are other people who are better leaders than you. But that's not the point. The point is God chose you. You don't know the name Edward Kimball, do you? Anybody here ever heard of Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball, layman, Sunday school teacher, taught a group of young professional men. He had a kid, young man in Sunday school, country hick, I mean a big time country hick. Probably the worst English grammar he'd ever heard in all of his life. He'd come to the city of Boston uh, to work in the shoe business, and he had a job in a shoe store, knew nothing about the Bible, thought John 316 was a bathroom on the third floor. I mean, he knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. And from the interactions in class, it became very clear to Edward Kimball that he did not appear to be a Christian, and he felt God compelling him to go and witness. He started, he went there. To his place of business, and as he got close, he got very nervous. What if I interrupt him with a customer? What if he doesn't want me to be there? And he just walked past the door of the business, kept on walking. The further he walked away, the more overcome he came with conviction, and God said, I want you to go witness to him. He turned around, he went back to the store, he got close, and once again, he chickened out. He said, I just, what if I cause a real problem? And he just walked right on past. The third time he went back in front of the store for God. Finally, you have got to go in there, and he finally took a deep breath. He knew it was going to be a disaster, and he walked in there. There were a lot of people who were better equipped to be a personal witness than Edward Kimball. But he finally walked in that store, and he said, Well, Mr. Moody, this is probably a bad time. I just wanted to talk with you about your relationship with Christ. I can come back some other time. And Moody said, Oh, come on back in the storeroom. It's very quiet. Let's sit down. What do you want to say? And Edward Kimball led Moody to receive Christ, prayed to receive Christ, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, from that day, got involved in Sunday school work, got involved with the YMCA movement, very powerful Christian movement in his early years, became very prominent in the Sunday school movement from the United States, and ended up becoming one of the most famous evangelists in the United States history. Matter of fact, if there were no D.L. Moody, there would not have been a Billy Graham. People know D.L. Moody. They know Billy Graham. They don't know Edward Kimball. There are people better than you at doing the things that God wants you to do. But that's not the point. The point is God wants you. Friends, Romans, and countrymen, Lend me your ears. I mean, I marvel at the patience of God. God just exploded when Moses kept saying, Lord, I'm I'm really not qualified. And when he topped it off with number five and he said to the Lord, please send the message by whomever you want to send, God just exploded. It says in verse 14, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses and he let him have it. Because it all comes down to that very simple principle of faith. How does a church operate? A church operates when each one of its members accepts his or her responsibility in the church. You see, the things that God wants you to do, that's a part of your discipleship. This is how God is going to reveal himself to you. As you come face to face with your weaknesses and things you're not good at, God will bring you face to face with his strengths and what he can do through you. And it is in your following him and following obedience and seeing God work in you in spite of yourself that you will get more and more confidence in God and less and less confidence in yourself. God has chosen Not to use the mighty, not to use the amazing, not to use the magnificent. God has chosen to use the weak in order to confound the wise. And had I time, I could take you through all the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and you see this again and again and again. So this is the bottom line. We can't be a healthy church if you do not report for duty as a leader. Let me say that again. We cannot be a healthy church if you do not report for duty as a leader. God has purposes and plans for you. Psalm 139, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You're acquainted with all of my ways. You know when I get up. You know when I sit down. You understand my thought from afar. You know where I go during the day. You know where I lay down at night. You know every word I'm going to say before a word leaves my mouth. You have gone ahead of me. You are behind me. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't even comprehend that. Where could I go to hide from you? Where could I go to get away from your presence? If I went up into heaven, you'd be there. If I made my bed in the land, of the dead, you'd be there. If I threw a rope around the sun and rode its rays to the end of the earth, even there you would be there waiting to lead me and to guide me. If I said, surely the darkness will cover me and the night will hide me, even the night shines as bright as the day to you, for darkness and light are both alike to you. You came to me while I was being woven together in the womb of my mother, and you saw all of my days before I lived one of them. There's a Hebrew word for that. Wow. God knows your name. God knows the color of your eyes. Ladies, he knows the real color of your hair. (laughs) Guys, God knows how many hairs you used to have on your head. Everything about you, God knows. And knowing you, God has plans for you. But do you trust Him? Do you trust God to be able to do what He wants to do through your life? We cannot hire enough staff people to do everything. We can't hire enough staff people to do most things. This church only works when each of us picks up that part of it. God has for you. Question is, are you ready to accept it? Will you give yourself to it? Will you be the Mr. Beavers? Will you be Ken Mead? Will you be Edward Kimball? Will you be just an average church member who says, Yes, Lord, yes. I will do this thing that you want me to do. The whole future of our church doesn't hinge on who our next pastor is going to be. It hinges on whether or not you and I are ready to trust God and do what God wants us to do. The really wonderful thing, You'll like what happens when you are faithful to Him. Trust Him and see what He can do. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. After that time of prayer, as is our custom, we're going to have a time of invitation. Boy, that's a very special time. There are people who think a person's relationship with God is a private matter, that publicly doing anything with God is somehow inappropriate and completely unnecessary. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our life with God is public. Remember, He turns things inside out and upside down. And here I am an introvert by nature. That's who I am. I am a quiet person. I love being by myself with a good book. But God has called me to be an evangelist. God has taken me so far out of my comfort zones. And it all began with the day I responded to a public invitation to say, yes, God, I will do what you want me to do. If you were here today and there's never been a time in your life when you opened your heart to the love and forgiveness of God through faith in Christ, do not wait another day. Do it now. And our staff will be here at the front and prayer counselors, and they would be happy to tell you how you can know with certainty before you leave today, I am a child of God. You can come during this invitation. Do you live in New Orleans? Do you have a church home if you live in this place and you don't have a church home? What an exciting time to join a church, to be a part of a new chapter, be part of the journey getting ready for this new pastor who's going to come and and the new things will be unfolding in the church. It's a wonderful time to be a part of the church. You can come and say, okay, God, I'll plant my life here. I will be in this place to serve you. Maybe you are here today and you are a Christian and you're a member of this church. But God wants something more of you. You've got your spot where you always sit when you come to worship. You've got your friends, your people that you know. But do you have your ministry? Do you have your assignment? Is it teaching the Bible? Is it working with children? Is it working with college students? Is it engaging in one of our ministry points that just scares you to death? You have your membership. But do you have your ministry? And we would love to pray with you about God giving you that ministry assignment. You may be here right now and you know what it is. You know exactly what it is. They've already talked with you about it, but you haven't said yes yet. Why don't you come and bring that hesitation to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, yes. If you don't have that ministry yet, why don't you come and ask the Lord, okay, God, I'm ready. New Year's starting, what do you want me to do? And just volunteer. The altar was made for you to respond. Heavenly Father, it was a very unexpected day when Moses heard you speaking to him. He was not looking for it. He did not want it. He was not expecting it. He was not happy when your voice spoke to him. But Father, as he wrestled with you, he came face to face with the simple fact that the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Joseph who'd done all those great and mighty things in days past was getting ready for a new great and mighty work and that he was gonna be on the point. I wonder what the day was like for Mr. Beavers when he said yes to that assignment of working with 10 year old boys. I wonder what it was like when Mr. Mead volunteered to work with the teenagers. And on and on, I think through the people of my life who invested in me, they were the leaders, even when they didn't really think they could be. Oh, how you used them to shape me. And Father, we need each other for you to fully accomplish everything you want to do. So as we come to this time of invitation, Father, speak. Speak to our hearts. Speak clearly. And give us the courage of faith, Father. The courage of faith that doesn't look at what we know about ourselves. The courage of faith that looks at what we know about you. And give us the confidence to say, yes, Lord, yes. In that precious and wonderful name of Jesus we pray, amen.